And as we uh, dismiss our kids, I just want to thank those of you that brought groceries for the children's home. If you're here and thinking, I forgot after being reminded every Sunday for a month. If you forgot, you can go by Walker Baptist between now and Wednesday and they will receive uh, your your gift form. And also, uh, today is our Sunday to collect our Georgia Barnett offering for state missions. I hope that you all remembered to do that too, but you might be saying, oh, I forgot. Uh, you can you can do that anytime you want. Uh, we just make an emphasis of it uh, for this one particular Sunday every year. Uh, but you're welcome to give to Georgia Barnett, which is uh, a mission offering that reaches people in our state. Uh, the little brochure that you had the last couple of weeks told all about that. And um, so you can hand that in on the green offering envelope. There's a place there that says Mission Other, and you can just write it in, and we'll make sure it gets to the right place. Um, <clears throat> but there's some work in our state that gets done only by that offering. If that offering uh, went away, uh, then nearly everything that you saw in the brochure would probably go away, plus many, many, many others. So it's vital that we support missions in that way. Who's been reading their book? Who's been praying as they read their book? Man, that's not a lot of y'all. Did everybody get a book? Okay. It's online. 30 days of prayer. You look up who's your one 30-day prayer guide, and it'll come up. You just click on the PDF file that's there, and you can have this book to read. This is to encourage you to pray for one person throughout the next month, and then to Make a commitment to yourself and to God to reach out to that person with the gospel over the next year. One person. One person that may, that may reach thousands more because you, you were, you bothered with reaching the one person. There's a great story about the man that shared the gospel with, with Billy Graham. And he went through most of his life feeling like he was a failure because he had only led three or four people to Christ. Only one of them was Billy Graham. If you have, if you have been living in a life that's, that's, sometimes we get so wrapped up in our own life that we forget what God has, has chosen to do through our own. And if you ever have reached that place where that's all that there is anymore for you, then I encourage you more than ever to, to read through this every day and get your life focused on one person that needs to know the Lord. Whenever you share the gospel with somebody, and I don't, and there's, and a, next month I'm going to offer a simple little way for you to do that at any time. And I encourage everybody to come be a part of that. It's in your bulletin, the date's there. But whenever you give yourself the opportunity to share the gospel with someone, it changes your life doesn't mean that they accept him but it changes your life every time you do it because God is able to say to you in, in multiples of ways but he says to you thank you for being faithful to the call that I put upon your life this is where you and I meet it's not always the problems that you have you and I meet in this place 
where, where you have just responded to the call I've put upon your life. Which is what I'm preaching on today. So all this kind of works hand in hand. I wonder how God works all that out. I never know. If you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 5. Last week we looked at what it means to be fishers of people. That Jesus comes. He calls us. We don't go to Him. Uh, we would never consider ourselves really good enough to go to Him. Uh, and often everyone else has made up their mind that we're really not good enough to go to Him. But He comes to us. Uh, just Joe Blow, everyday person, and says, I want you to be with me. And one of the key things we find out when Jesus calls those four fishermen from the seashore is that he says, I want you to follow me. I want you to be with me. I want you to learn what it's like to live a life with God. That's what I'm, that's what I'm here to show you. Everybody in Jesus' day, they couldn't have asked for anything more. Today, not so much. We want to weigh out the pros and cons and what it's going to cost us. But the call is still the same. He, he comes to us and he says, follow me, and I'm going to change the reason for your life. I'm going to change the very reason why you want to live. And that is so that you can fish for people. And, and fishing becomes this, this intense metaphor for us as, uh, as Christians, right? We want to be able to fish. We want to be good at fishing because we want to be able to, we want to be pleasing to the one that we're following. Not to bring attention to ourselves, but because He loved us so much and it's a way that we show Him that we love Him. How else, I mean, really, what are you going to do to show Jesus that you really love Him? I think it's to do what He asked us to do. We do that with our kids, right? <laughs> we ask them to do something and they actually do it. We think, oh man, they're learning, they're getting it, they respect, they love, they care. But when they don't, we're thinking... Man, where did this kid come from? Why did I ever pray for this? He calls us to be fishers, to be fishermen. He changes everything. And then we see, and in, in, that's the first part of chapter 5 in Luke. Then the next thing we won't look at today, Jesus heals this man that has leprosy. And so he begins to illustrate for these people that are following him, these, these men, just what this involves, just who he is. And for someone that, that had leprosy, man, you were, the, you were the lowest of the low. And Jesus goes to this person, lays his hands on him, touches him and says, you know, you're healed. And he's healed. And they're thinking, is this what it means to, be a, to fish for people? Is this what we're going to be able to do? Is this what all this means? And I'm sure they were scared and and kind of exhilarated at the same time because the first thing they're thinking is, you mean I got to go reach out to a bunch of lepers to do what this guy does? But at the same time, they're thinking, we're going to have the power to do that? So we're kind of caught in this tension. And Jesus in this story that we're going to look at today just kind of turns up the heat a little bit. Okay, because this life that we just, that we choose to live for Christ there's a, there's a lot of tension in it. There's a lot, there's a lot that goes along with it that sometimes we don't really honestly want or expect, but it's there. And the sooner that we realize it, uh, the more blessed we are in it. Blessed in the sense of the Beatitudes blessed. We understand that, you know, we're not all spiritually cracked up to be what we believe we are. And so, 
Uh, thank God for that, Jesus says, because you're on your way to understanding who I am. And it goes on and on like that. So today we're going to look at the story of, of the paralytic. And really we're going to look more at the story of the two guys that brought him. Because they are just as important in this story. So often we can do things and we can be very involved in something and never lift a finger to be a part of it. I did that yesterday all afternoon in front of a TV set watching football. Man, this is the best, this is the best time of the year. The weather gets cool and there's football from like 10 in the morning till 2 in the morning. If you just watch all of it, you could just watch it all. And then, and then if you're really, if you're really a gung ho football guy, you can stay up all night and watch the sports center shows about what happened that you just watched. And, and then there's SEC now and you can listen up. You can really, oh yeah. Yeah. In fact, you can get so into it at, at about two or three in the morning. You, you, your heart's going, dun, 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 dun. you feel like, man, I've worked out all day. Can't wait till next Saturday when I get to work out again. And we can do that. We can spectate like that and never lift a finger. And, and look, let's, let's be sure. The way I feel about what happened doesn't, doesn't affect a thing that happens on those football fields. They don't even know who I am. But we do it because there's some sense of being connected in that without really being connected. When the when it all all is said and done, when LSU lost to Troy, it really didn't change my life. But it did for a lot of people that were on the field and coaches on the sidelines. But it didn't really change my life. Take it or leave it. When they beat Vanderbilt yesterday, it was fun to watch, but it really didn't change my life at all. I don't even know anybody from Vanderbilt that I can giggle. I mean, not... But being on the sidelines and being in the game is quite different. And we find that in this story today, there's two guys here that refuse to be on the sidelines of life. And they refused it because they, they had some sense of care for another person that really that really required them. Their sense of of love and respect for the purpose that they were helping required them to do more. There was no way they were going to sit back and just watch. So let's look at that today. <clears throat> Begins in verse 17. He says, On one of those days while he was preaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and also from Jerusalem. That means Jesus has attracted the all-star crowd. Pharisees and teachers of the law from every village, from everywhere. Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem itself. That would be like me preaching today and having all my Seminary professors walk through the door and sit down and want to listen to what I have to say. Scare me to death, but not him. And the Lord's power to heal was, was in him. Just then some men came carrying 
on a stretcher, a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in and set him down before him, meaning before Jesus. Since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, the crowd's made up of religious folks, by the way. Uh, they're the ones keeping him, keeping this guy from being able to get to Jesus. Once again, um, since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on the stretcher through the, through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. So here's the picture. They get to the house where Jesus is, probably a small little house, and there's a crowd inside and probably outside. They can't get through the door. And it doesn't say where they've come from, how far they've carried this guy. All we know is that they have this intense desire for this guy to be well and for Jesus to do his thing. All right, so they get there. They can't get through the front door. And so what's the solution? You tear the roof off the house. Yeah. Okay. There was tiles, mat tiles that they would mat together, grass and limbs and uh, palm branches and stuff. They would they would take and uh, make rope out of the uh, leaves of the palm trees that were really strong, and they would they would knit this stuff together and make a mat, and it would keep the water out of the house uh, when it did rain. It kept the sun out mainly, but water too. And so they just started taking these tiles off the roof to get this guy down in there. That's what's going on here. Somebody coming to your house and Jesus is there and they can't seem to get your attention or get through the door. So they're going to come through the roof of your house to make sure that they can get their friend to Jesus. I just love that. Uh, See, in their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. What? I just want to walk. What are you talking about? We're going to find out. Then the scribes and the Pharisees begin to think to themselves, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, Why are you thinking this in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, Get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. Immediately he got up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. Then everyone was astounded, and they were giving glory to God, and they were filled with with awe, and said, we have seen incredible things today. And these are the Word of God for us today. I do want us to focus on these two men because they had a mission. They were on the playing field. They were not going to sit on the sidelines. You know, when we decide, when we know that we have a mission, that is what drives us. Okay, every one of us in this room have some sort of mission and and most of them are legitimate. Okay, so you have a mission in life to earn some money so you can support your family and be able to live. Okay, so that's part of your mission statement. You get up in the morning and go to work so that you can earn a dollar 
so that you can take care of your family. Your family may also be a part of your mission statement where you say, I'm going to love and care for my family. I want the best I can possibly provide for my family. I want them to be raised up with proper values. And so you do things that are going to instill all of that and make that possible for your family. That's part of your mission in life. Okay, and then there may be other things that are part of your mission in life. Some of y'all, fishing is the mission. I mean really fishing. Uh, some of you enjoy that and you, and you make that a part of your life. Or hunting, or in my case, I like to watch football on Saturdays. And so I arrange things so, I, so that I can. Okay, but then also as a part of the mission in life is caring for the person that really needs Jesus. And that's what these two guys, I don't know when they woke up and decided this, but, but two things I know existed in their life. They knew that this, this guy that they were carrying, they, they had to care about. Because for one, you don't carry a guy on a stretcher and then hoist him up on a roof and then tear the roof off of somebody's house that you may not even know and lower them down to Jesus unless you really care that that person is going to receive what you know that they need from Jesus. I mean, who would do that kind of thing? So we know that they, that they cared about this guy a great deal to go to all that trouble. The second thing that we know, that whatever, whatever had happened before with Jesus, they had heard somewhere along the line that Jesus could fix this guy's problem. He could not walk. Maybe it was just the leprosy story, which was dealing with a disease more than it was dealing with a, a physical condition where a crippling condition. But they had heard it or seen it and said, man, this is the guy that can help my friend who is hurting and cannot make it through life until they get the help that they need. We're going to take them to Jesus. That became their mission that day. And so the question becomes, is that part of your mission? First of all, are your eyes open enough to even know anyone that needs Jesus? That's what this book's about, by the way. I do have a few left. I've talked to people this week. Some of you in this room said, I don't know who to pray for. I can believe that. I can believe that. I just read a study done by George Barna. If any of you know who George Barna is, he, uh, he founded the Barna Group. And the Barna Group studies things like, why don't people go to church anymore? Or I could ask a thousand other questions that he asks. And he studies that. He, he does that all over the country. And you know what he says about Christians? In this day of age, this, this age of communicating, at the drop of a hat, any of you can lift up your phone right now and communicate with anybody in the world if you know their phone number or email address or hashtag whatever, whatever. Anybody in the world, you can, you can communicate with them right now. And he discovered that 85% of Christians in the United States have cut themselves off from everybody that's not Christian. So it doesn't surprise me when you say to me, I really don't know who to pray for. That's because you've cut yourself off from the world that needs to be lowered down through a roof to get to Jesus. You've cut yourself off from the very people that need Him and you've convinced yourself that He's for you and for my kind. 
that attitude alone is going to send a lot of people to hell. So we, we, we do things like this. We struggle as, as faith leaders in our country. We do things like this book to help people understand that, first of all, you're never going to bring anybody to Jesus unless you pray about it first. And hence the book. So if you don't know who you're going to pray for, you better start praying to Jesus. Lord, open my life up to someone who needs you. And I bet you before you open your eyes, there'll be 15 names in your head. But there's another reason why you can't, because it's not your mission. You've made up your mind that the church is going to do that for you. If I can just come, if I can just give the, the, if the right program exists and I can get that person to come to that, then they'll come to Jesus. Let me tell you what happened. Just, you know, every year we do the, the Easter egg hunt, right? We do that here, breakfast with Easter Bunny. We get asked every year to uh, join in with another group of churches to do a big, like citywide Easter egg hunt. They're going to drop a half million Easter eggs and do all this stuff, okay, right? Because it's meant to bring people to Jesus. But I tell them every year, you know, we do our thing with the breakfast because we want to get to know the people that are there so that our church can be there. We eat breakfast with them. We visit. We kind of get to know people so that we can contact them later and they'll know us when we contact them and there'll be some kind of relationship there. And I just don't feel like we can do that, you know, at the park with, with, with 4,000 people showing up and a half million Easter eggs and, and all that. Well, I say that to say this. A lot of people will say, yeah, that's a good way. That's a good program. I can bring people to that. And maybe they'll hear the gospel. And maybe they'll believe in Jesus and everything will be okay. In the last four years that they've done this Easter egg hunt, exactly five people that they know of have come to faith in Jesus because they showed up at the Easter egg hunt. And this is my point in saying this. There's no substitution for you being on mission for Christ that He has called you on to, to bring a lost person or a person in need of Him to Him. There's no substitution. There is no second plan. There is no, oh, I'm going to make an adjustment because you're too afraid to talk to someone or to be with someone who doesn't know Jesus. He's not doing that. There's one plan. It's you and a lost person. And that's what this book is all about. Sure, you're praying for a person, but you need to include yourself in it. If you're fearful. Because Jesus does not provide us with a spirit of fear. He provides us with great confidence to be able to go to. We were talking about this this morning in my class. And if you're not in a Bible study class, you're welcome to come to mine every Sunday. Or to Cully's or to Gary's. But you need to be studying with your church anyway. In talking about that, sometimes we don't know quite what to say. And the other thing that this Barna study points out to, it, to us is this very interesting fact. If you're a believer and you know someone that's not a believer, if you would just take the time to build a relationship with them, they are more than happy to talk to you about a faith in Jesus. Do you realize that? If you will take the time, and it takes time, it takes five or six, seven conversations to really get comfortable with somebody and have them respect you and understand you and you respect them it takes it takes a little bit of time but once you have that most people that do not believe in jesus they are eager to know exactly why they may 
believe in Jesus. There's no program that can make that happen. Because it, the church program will never always be where you are at any given point in the day. Jesus put you there. He put you there. Just like Philip. If you ever want to read an interesting story, go look up Philip in Acts and see what God was doing with him. He's everywhere at once. By himself. Behind enemy lines. Sharing the gospel. These men had an eager expectation of what Jesus was going to do. There was no doubt in their mind. If they were going to rip the roof off of somebody's house, they knew that Jesus was going to do what they had they had come there for him to do. How foolish it would be to rip the roof off of somebody's house and lower the man down in front of Jesus and then Jesus say, hey, I don't know what you're doing. That's not how Jesus works in the world. When you're willing to be on mission, he is going to honor that in ways that you haven't even thought of yet. He is going to honor it. That's what I mean. When you begin to pray, when you begin to share, you begin to see the presence of Jesus in your life that you've never seen before. You've seen Him when you're down and out and He's your friend. You've seen Him when, when life's not going quite your way and, 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 and He heals you from something. But until you, you are honoring the mission that He has placed you on, and are, and are a part of that mission, actively seeking to do what He has called you to do, you will never be able to see the other ways that He works in your life. It's there, and it's ready to happen. But it doesn't happen without us. You think, well, that seems unfair. No, it doesn't. This is all set up for relationship, folks. It isn't just to get stuff done. Hey, if Jesus wanted to get stuff done, what would He do? It's done. That's not what this is about. Relationship. He wants you to be so near to Him and what He has called you to do that while you are doing it, there is no way to separate Him from you. That's what He wants. That's what He wants every day. They had an expectation of what Jesus would do. And sometimes I'm convinced that there are good, well-meaning Christians that say, I can't bring that person to Jesus because they may not appreciate it or they may not like me anymore or I've tried before and they haven't heard me and all these things. What I'm saying to you right now is if you don't have an expectation of Jesus being able to act in that person's life, then you'll never get them there. Maybe the first thing we need to understand and remember is that we're powerless in all of this anyway. We're just broken vessels that God has patched up and He's using to fill us to the brim with His life and we overflow onto others. And what happens in that is His business. But if you're not willing to be filled and if you're not willing to act, you just will never know what He was able to do. He doesn't call you to it and then leave you out of it. That's kind of bad too. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be particularly impressed with a Savior that asked me to do something and then He goes ahead and does it without me. I've had some friends treat me like that before. It wasn't a very good time. 
one of my favorite sayings of my my daddy says the last time I went somewhere I wasn't invited I didn't have a very good time but Jesus has invited you into his work into his mission and when he invites you into that we should have an an, an it's a boundless boundless expectation of what he's about to do in that these men naturally they, they met an obstacle there was a crowd there and they could not get through the front door. That didn't stop them. And so often when we reach out to people, immediately we find that there's some sort of resistance. There's some sort of thing that keeps us from getting to where we want to go with them. Right? And uh, I hear all the time, you know, that's just Satan at work. Well, it may be Satan at work. It may be that, that, that Satan is, is so desirous to keep that person from the Lord that they will do all sorts of things. But you know what? Satan has no power over what you do. Did y'all know that? Uh, Flip Wilson ruined it. Everybody remember Flip Wilson? Yes. Flip Wilson used to say the devil made me do it. Only he said it like Geraldine and I can't say it like Geraldine. But Flip Wilson used to say the devil made me do it. The devil has no power to make you do anything at all. He suggests a lot of things. He uh, puts some things up there that may distract you from what Jesus has you to do. But he doesn't have the power to do not one thing to stop you. You know why? The cross of Christ right there. That cross of Christ has already defeated every power that he has. Now, there's a lot of people out there that are that believe that they're even living under His power. But you know what? All He's done is confuse them to the point to where they don't even know where to look for what is life, life everlasting. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. The very person that you're trying to bring to Jesus is the one that is so broken and so confused that they're never going to find Him without you. Does that, what does that mean for you? It means that you are of great importance to what God is doing in His kingdom. Of great importance. You can never discount it and say, oh, well, He'll do this and He'll do that without me. No. He, is, he, he loves you and values you so much That He would never leave you or forsake you. Meaning what He has called you to do, He's not going to rip away from you just because you're too timid or frightened or believe that you're too ill-prepared to do it. He's not going to do that. He's going to keep it right there for you. And He's going to strengthen your life and guide your life and equip your life to do the very thing that He's called you to do. Because He loves you. And because He wants to see you become the full person that He's made you to be. And you know what happens in the process? We get more than we bargained for when we, when we live this way with, with Jesus. That's what happened to these guys and for this man in particular. They go there to get the guy's legs fixed because he can't walk. And they lower him down in front of him. Jesus never says anything about the legs. When He sees him, He says, He saw what first? 
He saw their trust in Him. They were trusting Him. All of this has happened because they trusted and knew that Jesus would do what He wanted to do. And the first thing He says, man, He says, your sins are forgiven you. Nobody's expecting that. Not the guy on the pallet, not the guys that bring Him, and certainly not the scribes and teachers of the law that are there uh, listening to all of this. In fact, we know what they're thinking. How dare Him say that He can forgive sin? See, when we start bringing people to Jesus for whatever reason, we're always going to get more than we bargained for. It may be that we're bringing them so that Jesus can expose their sin wide open to them and say, see, this is why life is the way it is for you. Surrender all this to me and follow me and I'll show you how to live. A lot of times we just want people to have a better life. That's okay. You can still show them Jesus in the process. But when we get to that point, there's always more with Jesus. As I mentioned before, the old guy that led Billy Graham to the Lord. You know, he felt like he'd never really done all that he could do. But Billy Graham was, and his life was so much more than what he expected. The life that you bring to Jesus the life that you bring to Jesus that just says, look, I want, you to, I want you to meet Jesus. And they surrender their life to Him. And they begin to walk as Jesus walks. They begin to live the way that Jesus has them to live. That life is going to produce so much more than you ever imagined the first time it came into your head. I think I'm going to bring them to Jesus. There's so much more when we allow the mission that God has given us to function and work in our life. You've got a testimony about that, by the way. Is your life more today? I mean, if, 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 if you trust in Jesus as your Savior, if you're, if you're doing your best to follow Him, is your life more today than you imagined it would be the day that you said to Him, Lord, forgive me. I give you my life. Is it more than you ever imagined it to be today than it was that day? Is that true? It's true for me. See, we all get more. We all get more when we do this. It means so much more. But if we're not on mission, if we're not in the game, so to speak, if we're not fishing, because all this started with Jesus telling him, I'm going to make you fishers of people. And here he is showing them exactly what that's going to be like. Almost in every way he has shown them what that's going to be like. But if we're not fishing, Mm. then we're really not fishermen, right? I'm going to read you a story that I found. <clears throat> it says, it goes something like this. It says, now it came to pass that a group existed who called themselves fishermen. And lo, <laughs> there were many fish in the waters all around. In fact, the whole area was surrounded by streams and lakes filled with fish. And the fish were hungry. 
week after week, month after month, and year after year, these who called themselves fishermen met in meetings and talked about their call to fish, the abundance of fish and how they might go about fishing. Year after year, they carefully defined what fishing means, defended fishing as an occupation, and declared that fishing is always to be a primary task of fishermen. Continually, they searched for new and better methods of fishing and for new and better definitions of fishing. They created witty slogans and displayed them on big, beautiful banners. These fishermen built large, beautiful buildings called fishing headquarters. The plea was that everyone should be fishermen and every fisherman should fish. One thing they didn't do, however, they did not fish. In addition to meeting regularly, they organized a board to send out fishermen to other places where there were many fish. The board hired staffs and appointed committees and held meetings to define fishing, to defend fishing, and to decide what new streams should be thought of, uh, what new streams should be thought about. But the staff and the committee members did not fish. Large, elaborate, and expensive training centers were built with those original and primary purpose was to teach fishermen how to fish. Over the years, courses were offered on the needs of the fish, the nature of fish, where to find fish, the psychological reactions of fish, and how to approach and feed fish. Those who taught had doctorates in fishology, but the teachers did not fish. They only taught fishing. Year after year, after tedious training, many graduated and were given fishing licenses. They were sent to do full-time fishing, some in distant waters which were filled with many fish. Many who felt the call to be fishermen responded. They were commissioned and sent to fish, but like the fishermen back home, they never fished. They enlarged in all kinds of, they, oh, excuse me, they engaged in all kinds of occupations. Some felt their job was to relate to the fish in a good way so the fish would know the difference between good and bad fishermen. Others felt that simply letting the fish know that they were nice, land-loving neighbors and how loving and kind they were was enough. Now it's true that many of the fishermen sacrificed and put up with all kind of difficulties. Some lived near the water and bore the smell of dead fish every day. They received the ridicule of some who made fun of their fishermen's clubs and the fact that they claimed to be fishermen, yet never fished. Imagine how hurt some were, some were when one day a person suggested that those who don't fish were really not fishermen, no matter how much they claimed to be. Yet it did sound correct. Is a person a fisherman if year after year he never fishes? More plainly stated, is one really following if he isn't fishing? Is one really following if he isn't fishing? It really is time to start casting our nets.
Don't you think? Don't you think the people that you know and love and care for that have never been brought to Jesus to be relieved of their sin debt deserve it? Paul reminds us in Romans 6, for the wages of sin is death. Those people that you know, that you love, that you care for, part of your family, that you're friends with, that you work with, that you your kids play ball with, whatever it is, and they've never had their sin debt relieved by Jesus, the wages of that sin is, is death that means is Jesus could appear today and today is too late tomorrow's tomorrow's too late the wages of their sin is death and you know these people you love these people but then Paul goes on to say but the gift of God is eternal life so what you're offering to these people that that need to have their sin debt repaid, what you're offering them is a gift from God. Have you ever thought about your hands being the, the gift bearer to another person and say, this is from God. This is, this is what He's given you. Eternal life with Him. Do you deserve it? Can you do anything for it? This is a gift of God and it's eternal life. And you have it through Jesus. What does that mean? It means you trust Him with your life. That's, that's the simplest way I can tell you what this means. You can tell them. You just trust Him with your life. I don't know if I can do that. You know what? It's a big decision. I understand why you can't make that decision today. But I'm your friend and I love you. And I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to be here with you till you make up your mind. And I can tell you this. If you decide that you, that you don't believe this Jesus thing and, and I don't want Him, He says, you know what? That, that's your choice and I'm going to grieve because I will not spend eternity with you. But if you decide that, yeah, I want to trust Jesus with my life, I can promise you this because Scripture promises heaven rejoices over the decision you made. Because the blood of my Savior was not spilt in vain for your life. Now that sounds like, oh, I couldn't do that. Can you imagine not doing that? Can you? I want us to pray about it.